Oh, Father, I pray now for the Holy Spirit to come. God, convict us where we need to be convicted. God, comfort us where we need to be comforted. Guide us into all truth. God, keep us from error. God, help us to see the glories of your word. I pray you'd help me. God, just, uh, I, I need your help. I need your help every week. God, I need your grace. I need your kindness. So help us this Christmas day to reflect upon you, your truth, error, righteousness, love. God, unite us to church. May we glorify you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, we live in the information age, which means we have information all around us. It's in front of us. It's on flashing billboards. It's on our computers. It's in our pockets. And uh, within a few minutes, we all can have the answers to a billion other questions. Uh, a billion, easy. You, know, you, got, you got a billion questions. So questions like this. I just thought of some questions, and we're not going to take the time to do this, but I, I know that if Mr. Google is your friend, then um, you can certainly get, get these, okay? From geography to sports to history to science to entertainment. I mean, any, anything. So if I just say, how tall is Mount Everest? You, you know how to, how to look that up. And you could tell me probably within a foot how tall Mount Everest is. Or if I, if I say, how many runs did, home runs did Roger Maris hit in his career? You'd be able to look that up. Give two or three minutes and you'd find 275, by the way, is the answer. 29,000 and 29 feet. What's Napoleon's birthday? None of you know these things, but you could. That's my point. You could. This, this information is right at your fingertip. Yes? You know what I'm talking about, right? April 15th, 1769. What's the atomic mass of fluorine? 18.998401 AMU. Who knows what AMU stands for? Atomic mass units. Good job. <laughs> um, who played Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life? I thought you might get that one. Henry Travers' his name. When was the first Star Wars movie released? Like we're talking date, May 25th, 1977, right? How far away is Beetlejuice from the Earth? Beetlejuice is one of those big stars in uh, Orion, the biggest star. That we... 640 light years. Who is the third prime minister of Australia? <laughs> Chris Watson is his name. All, you know, all those, within a few minutes, if we'd, if we'd had time, we'd extend my sermon. We, we, we could, we, all of us, well, m- most of us, we got something in our pocket. We could figure all those things out. But, but on top of that, the information age, there's incredible help out there. I was just thinking this past year, how many YouTube videos I watched to help with home repair. And, and I watched YouTube videos about fixing my dryer. It's not working. I just went on YouTube, how do I fix my dryer? And, and there were like videos. And I, I looked and like my model of everything that I need is right there in the solenoids and working and kind of diagnosing it. And I'm like, Garth, you might be out of business pretty soon. <laughs> or installing a hitch in your car. I can install one on my car and talk to you, Dirk, about six months ago. You said, oh, it's easy. I'm like, okay. And so I, I bought it, trusting you that it was easy. And um, so I, I looked online, and I, it showed me the videos, and it's, it's like five bolts was all it was. It was really easy. So, but, but it had truck, structural video, my model of my car, my hitch that I put on there. Um, 
Increasing the pressure, you reverse osmosis water purification system. Like, we didn't have very much capacity, so how to do that? So there's like a pump. You kind of pump it up like a bike tire. You get the bladder in there, and it's probably losing air. So, I mean, installing an electric dog fence. We did that, and now Autumn gets zapped when she comes too close to it. So, <laughs> But total, total, total information about there, and, and hundreds of other, thousands of other home repair you could easily do. Um, also, I could found out a lot of information about you all last night did you know that just yesterday a husband and children made birthday cake for wife and mother do you know that just yesterday did you know that someone had their 10-year anniversary in the church this week did you know that uh, someone made some ninja turtle christmas ornaments this week in our church this one's one of my favorite. Did you know that someone likes to listen to the Osmonds during Christmas time? <laughs> I know that about some of you. One of you who's smiling right now. Someone received a, a Keurig as an early Christmas present. Be friends with them. Figure that out. Someone made a homemade Christmas wreath for their home. This week, someone, a, a little child among us, finished reading her reading book. Get all the way through 100 lessons. One family had strep throat this week. I mean, you got all this. I mean, all this is out there and just too much information. But also, you can get a lot of opinions about what's right and wrong, social issues, politics, heaven and hell, Moses, Jesus, the Bible, aliens, conspiracy, end times events, getting to heaven. I mean, all of these things. You, you can multiple opinions out there and um newsflash not everything you read on the internet is true you know that someone posted that on facebook and so i clicked and it said not everything you read on the internet is true so that's really true (laughs) so we need discernment today but know that not everything you hear from other people is true facebook isn't true are all of us really that happy all the time? We put a, a best face forward oftentimes on Facebook. And that's okay. That's just the, the medium. But you've got to understand it, that there are ups and downs in life. And it's all, mostly the ups that just hit Facebook. There's some downs. <clears throat> Not everything you hear from preachers is true on the Internet. Just because someone is preaching with a Bible in hand doesn't make it true. And our text this morning, 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 6, calls us to discern truth and error. Because just because someone said it, And just because that person is nice and smooth sounding and just because you read it or heard it or watched it doesn't necessarily make it true. So we haven't done so already. First John chapter four, one through six. We finally landed in first John chapter four. And here we're going to go. There are three tests in the book of first John, the old test, right? The obedience test, O, the love test, L, and the doctrine test, D. Today we're looking at the doctrine test. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> this is the doctrine test. Meets perfectly with Christmas. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. <clears throat> Excuse me. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. and The world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this you know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. My message this morning is entitled Truth and Error. I trust that you can see that throughout this whole passage, but particularly at the very end of verse 6. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You say, by this, what does that mean? It can mean just the first part of verse 6. It can mean up till verse 3. It can mean the whole... I think it just means the whole thing. Everything he's talking about from verse 1. Just about the spirit. It's by this. How do you know? Right? How do you know what is, what is different? What is spirit of truth, spirit of error? Well, let's start in verse 1. And here's how you know. By testing the spirits. Test the spirits. Verses 1 through 3. That is the clear command of verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But here it is. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Actually, there are two commands here. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. But the second command really dominates and explains the first. Because if you test the spirits and if they're true, you believe them. And if they're not true, then you don't believe them. So I believe testing the spirits is the... Is a big dominating command here. Now, the reason why you're supposed to test the spirits comes at the end of verse 1. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, here you get an idea of what he's talking about. We talked about spirits. He's not talking about some mystical spirit that kind of floats around that you can get in touch with by saying some seance. No, he's talking about people. Like the spirit of, of God is in people or the spirit of the devil is in people and based on how they, they work itself out. That's how you can tell their spirit. Because it says here, many false prophets have gone into the world. The false prophets would be a, a bad spirit that you don't believe. He's talking about teachers. Or in Second John verse 7, turn over there. We'll, we'll be back there again. But Second John verse 7 almost parallels our text really good. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. They're called deceivers. False prophets, people, teachers, deceivers. That's what he's talking about when he says test the spirit. So, What I'm encouraging you to do is test people, what they say. Have a measure of discernment. When you listen to something, don't just take it lock, stock, and barrel. Filter it through. Okay, is this right? Is this to be believed? Or is this not to be believed? There's an incredible gullibility among many Christians. They they read something and then they just latch onto it. And they they believe it. Um, I was recently, well, not recently, a couple years ago. I I, I get this email from from this woman who's not in the church at all. But... Maybe I just tell her to forget, but it goes in some folder. I don't see it very often. But a couple of years ago, she um, she received this. She was sending this thing, and I just kind of clicked on it, and, and it, it talked about how China was going to overtake the world by the end of next year, and had all these things about all the troop movements and all this kind of stuff. And and so I replied back. I said, "Okay, so you're sending this out. Do you believe this?" And she said, "Yes." I said, "Okay, well, let me tell you. I watched the video. This is what it says. It says China's going to take over the world. Now, if China doesn't take over the United States," In the next year, like this man promised, will you still believe this? And she says, well, it might happen. I said, no, no, but this guy says it will happen. And you said that you believe it. Well, it might happen. And she just wouldn't. But she's just so gullible and so deceived. All this end times, whatever, here it comes. And just believing anything. There's a tremendous amount of, of uh, gullibility on the Internet. Television. 
right? Big name evangelists you might, you might think of. Crusades, large churches. Just because I have a large church, have a large following, doesn't mean that they're of the truth. You need to test those sorts of people. And deceivers can be smaller. They can be in smaller churches. They can be professors in college. They can be uncles who visit on Thanksgiving and Christmas time. They can be um, next-door neighbors. They can also be those who go door-to-door trying to spread their news, whatever they have. Anyone who's teaching what's false can rightly be called a deceiver. That's a definition. Deceiver is trying to, to get you away from the truth but to believe their lies. And, and they might be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong as well. And just because you're sincere doesn't mean that it's true. That's why you need to test them. I read recently about an illustration about a monkey who saw this fish like swimming upstream and struggling mightily. And so this monkey, at great risk to himself, went out on the edge of this tree and kind of was going over this water. It's going out. And so he, he scooped up the fish, put it on the land to save it from its agony. And for a while, the, the fish flopped around all excitedly and then rested into a calm of perfect peace. And the monkey had great intentions, but he didn't help the fish at all. And you can have great intentions and be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. Now, it is interesting that the one test that is given here in, in chapter 4, 1 through 6, is, has to do with Christmas. Now, this isn't the only test in the Bible of true or false witnesses. I mean, well, you can read Deuteronomy 17 and it talks about if they prophesy something in the future and it doesn't come to pass, they're a false teacher. In the Old Testament, you should stone them. Okay, so you can just see if their prophecies come to pass. Another way, Jesus encouraged and similar them out to test them. You'll know them by their fruits. Look at their life. What sort of life are they leading? That's how you test them. This test here is a doctrinal test. Just one test will kind of manifest this one. But this has to do with Christmas. Look again at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay, here's the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I mean, that is almost the definition of Christmas, right? Jesus Christ coming into the flesh. Again, Second John verse 7, almost exactly the same thing. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. I mean, this is what Christmas is. Matthew chapter 1, she will bear a son and call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet in Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us in the flesh. John described it this way. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And verse 14 of John 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God becoming flesh to dwelt among us. That is what Christmas is all about. And the expectation of the prophets were, were longing to see what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating. He s- predicted the sufferings of Christ, the glories to follow, trying to, trying to figure out when, when Christ was coming. And this expectation of the prophets was all fulfilled when God came, born of a virgin, into this life in the flesh. He's called Emmanuel. That's Hebrew, im with anu us el God. With us, God, God with us, dwelling with us. Because of our sin, we're hopeless and helpless. 
We couldn't save ourselves. We needed God to come and save us. We didn't need an angel. We didn't need a, a mighty enlightened man. We needed God himself to come and save us. And that's what he did. In the person of Jesus Christ, he took on flesh and blood to save us from our sins. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Yes, it is about a child. Yes, it is about a, a baby. But it's, it's, it's more than just the baby. Oftentimes when a baby comes, a, a newborn comes to church, someone's visiting you or some family gathering, you get to see a baby for the first time. There's a lot of ooh and ah. And, oh, it's so cute. It's so cute. And that's not the idea of Christmas. It's not that Jesus was such a cute baby. It wasn't, wasn't as if Jesus was some kind of star that walked out on the red carpet. Everyone said, ooh, ah. Only get back in his limousine and go home. No, the, the idea was this baby came with a purpose. He came to die came to die upon the cross for our sins. And that's the, that's the hope of Christmas, is this baby would grow to be a man. This man would fulfill the law for us. He would die for our sins so we might be made right with God through faith. He came in the flesh to identify with us. Hebrews 2.14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. In other words, he came to be like us, like us in human flesh, so he might destroy the works of the devil on our behalf. That we might be free of the fear of death. And there were those in the days of the New Testament who denied that. They, they denied the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. Look Again, that's what verse 2 says. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And you might equally say, right, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not from God. So they didn't they said Jesus didn't come in the flesh. But he only appeared to come in the flesh. He only seemed to come in the flesh. It's one of the early church heresies called docetism. It comes from the Greek word dokeo or doceo. Do, docetism is where you get and, and dokeo means just to think, seem, appear like a, a phantom or, or maybe a ghost or maybe just an illusion or maybe he, he just looked human is the idea. And, and, and one of the, the driving reasons behind this was the dualism of ancient Greek culture is that along with Socrates and Plato, and, and the, they, they believe the spirit was good and the flesh is bad. Uh, we could idealize things in our minds that we can never flesh out in the flesh. So in our minds, we can perceive of an infinite line with zero thickness and infinite length. But just try building that. Once you put a line in, in the flesh, you know, it, it gets all crooked. I don't care how straight it is. It might feed me a long ways, but it, it, it will be crooked. Or try to make a perfectly flat surface. You can't. And we know enough about atomic theory that there are atoms and everything's really jagged ultimately, but you just can't. But we can conceive of a perfectly flat surface, maybe, maybe not. We can conceive of a, of a plane that has no thickness, that's infinite in all directions, but we can't make it. And so the, the Greeks, as they thought about that, thought about how, how the spirit and the thought, uh, the ideal is good, but that which comes into the material realm is, is bad. Uh, it's imperfect. And what is imperfect, and, 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 and the perfect certainly couldn't take on the imperfect. And the infinite certainly couldn't take on the the finite as well. And, and those influenced by this philosophy said, okay, so we've got to figure this out. So God, if God is going to come and be among us, he's got to stay in the spiritual realm. And so he stays in the spiritual realm. He just looks like he's got flesh, but really he's the spirit. He just seemed like he has 
flesh. Docetism. He was like a sort of a ghost. Looking every way like humanity, but really just a form of humanity. And, uh, okay, so, so catch what's happening here. Is they got Greek philosophy, and they're trying to match it with the Bible. And when the Bible speaks about Jesus coming in the flesh, but it, it rubs against their Greek philosophy, which do they land on? They land on their philosophy. They're imposing their system upon the Bible. And that happens many, many times. Often people impose their theology on the Bible, how they look at the Bible, rather than just letting the Scriptures speak for itself, holding things in tension, because there is certainly mystery here. And we can't understand this hypostatic union of God coming to be man, fully God, fully man, at the same time. Now, people have tried to reconcile that. We, it's difficult. It, it, it's mystery. But anything that doesn't teach Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is in error. I bet you never realized how important Christmas was to right teaching. How important it is that Jesus came in the Bible. Because it is one here that exposes attack on the Christian faith. Now today it's interesting. The battle is not docetism. Okay? We don't battle that Jesus came. In, did he really come into the flesh? No. What's our battle today? It's not whether he was a man. It's whether he was God. I mean, your liberal theologians all believe that Jesus was a man, he was a, a human, but the struggle today is not with the humanity of Jesus, it's with the deity of Jesus. People will readily admit that he's a great man. They find difficulty that he was, was God. In fact, I had a, a knock on my door a few weeks ago, maybe last Saturday, I can't quite remember, from a guy who did not believe that Jesus was God. It's called a Jehovah's Witness. And it is every bit an error as the docetistic error is. And, and I do believe that if John were writing 1 John today, which he's not, but if he was, he wouldn't address the docetic issue. He would address the Jehovah Witness issue or the, the Mormon issue or the Islam issue of Jesus Christ is God. And verse 2 might read like this to apply the principle to us today. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is the second person of the triune God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is the second person of the triune God, is not from God. I, I, I do believe it's that clear in Scripture that, that both those are true, and that's the test that we need to deal with today. So when you test the spirits, you need to test what sort of a person people believe Christ to be. And I just say it's of uttermost importance. And, and look at even here it says, if Jesus Christ just came in the spirit, then... He couldn't redeem us. And, and in some regards, I don't care how accurate your theology of atonement is, if you get Jesus wrong, he can't atone for our sins. And I do believe, if you believe that Jesus is just a man, forget your atonement theology, it's going to be wrong. A man just can't atone for all of our sins. It's, it's like this. Suppose you meet up with a high school friend. Old high school friend, you haven't seen him for, well, 30 years in, in my case. So maybe... Some of you youngsters, right? 15 years since you graduated from I haven't seen your friend. And you get together and, and you're kind of reminiscing about the past and Gus comes up. <laughs> I remember Gus. And that's what your friend says. And I say, I remember him too. He was such a, he was such a great guy. And, and your friend says, yeah, he was, he was a really good guy. And, and, and just really good. And, and then your friend says, you know, I just, I just, I, I, I saw this picture of him and his hippie hairstyle I mean, that was just, he, he looked like Greg Brady. I just, I mean, he was, I can't believe that was hip back then. And, and you say, you know, Gus didn't have a, a hippie haircut. 
remember Gus's dad was in the military and and he kept, he had a crew cut. Like, ah, oh, now he had a hippie guy cut. Oh, so, so it goes on. He said, well, at least I remember how good or great a football player he was. And you're like, Gus played football? I, I didn't think he played football. In fact, he was kind of a smaller guy. He was shorter than me. So that puts him pretty short. He, he was 140 pounds soaking wet, I think. He couldn't have played football. He said, yeah, I remember playing football. It's like, oh, no. And then the guy says, yeah, he was such a great guy. I remember when going to his house. Right? And, and he, his house must have been 150 years old. It was one of those big houses that need lots of repair. And, and it, they didn't heat the upstairs because it was so big. And we used to rummage up there and play hide-and-go-seek and do all the kind of stuff. And, and you're like, no, I, I remember going to Gus's house. He lived in the trailer home. He shared a room with his brother. So what's the problem? We're talking about different guys. Referring to him with the same name, Gus, but he's talking about one guy and I'm talking about another guy. And so if he's trusting in his Gus to save him, maybe he's a real guy, maybe he's not, but he's not the real Gus. And that's how important it is to believe in the real Jesus, because only the real Jesus can save you from your sins. Only the real God coming into the flesh can save you from sins. You guys, the cults always get this wrong. I mean, Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was a created being, Michael, the archangel, the chief of the angels. And do you realize that Mormons believe that Jesus was a created being, the brother of the devil, and they kind of split ways early on? Islam believes Jesus was a created being. He's a prophet, not God. Respected prophet, to be sure, but not God. Christian science believes he was just a man. A man, though, so in tune with the divine consciousness that he spoke the way he did. Some believe that Jesus was a man who was empowered by the Spirit, either at his birth or at his baptism, right? And, and, and for 30 years, he lived a normal life. But his baptism, the Spirit came upon him, and that's what changed him into this, this uh, divine trajectory. Not, not divine as in God, but like extra-worldly, just great trajectory. Uh, all those who have a different Jesus, they can't save. So this Christmas season, let's believe in the real Jesus. Let's believe in the real Jesus, the real God, who took on human flesh to save us from our sins. That's the way of truth. We must believe in the the real Jesus. So test the spirits. Test what people are saying about Jesus. And if they're saying it wrong about Jesus, they're saying it wrong about salvation. Well, let's let's go on. Second point this morning. Know your source. Know your source. So test the spirits. Know your source. And we can see how the text divides into two. I mean, the beginning of verse 1 says, Beloved, just talking there with an evocative, and verse 4 says, little children, right? just a similar address, so this kind of breaks down nicely. The first part is just talking about how the spirits don't believe anyone, and then this one is talking about remember where you're from. Are you from God or, or from the world is, is sort of the idea here. Let me read it for you. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here is affirming his readers, affectionately calling them little children, like he's done in chapter 2, verse 1. Little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In chapter 2, verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. In chapter 2, verse 28, 
He says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence. Chapter three, verse seven, little children, let no one deceive you. Chapter five, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. There's just an affection here. He's just he's just pleading with them. It's almost as if he's a dad and he's saying, little children, let's set this straight. And he affirms not only his affection for them, he also affirms their source. They are from God. John knows his readers, and he's trying to give them assurance of salvation. He, he's trying to, to give them comfort, indeed, that they are from God. And he's done this often. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. It says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge, right? You've got this anointing. You do have knowledge. Chapter 2, verse 27. It says the same thing. But the anointing that you receive from him, it abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But his, his anointing is teaching you. So it's self-evident that what I'm saying is true. Or chapter two, 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Well, we will be. He's not yet appeared. We know when he appears, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. But, but now we are God's children. We don't have to just wait to the future for God's children. He's just trying to give assurance. And that's why John wrote, chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so you may know that you have eternal life. And he's just seeking to remind them that you have eternal life. Why? Because you are from God. That's your source. Now, now contrast these verses. I just want to read just some of the words that are addressing, right? It says, you are from God, verse 4. Verse 5, they are from the world. Verse 6, we are from God. So you're from God, they're from the world, we are from God. Three different to people you are from god is talking primarily about those he's writing to they are from the world he's talking about the world those outside the church but we talk about john and, and the apostles and what he's seeking to do is contrast between a true believer and those who are in the world his readers and by extension all believers we can take verse four as that is includes us in that we who believe And he says, you are from God. The best place to begin, I believe, here is is verse 5. Let's talk about the world first. They are from the world. John's talking about those outside of Christ. He's talking about those outside the church. He's talking about unbelievers. He's talking about your your neighbors, your co-workers, your unsaved family. Then the world, right? He's also talking about the the world system. Other people, he's talking about the, the secular media. He's talking about Hollywood. He's talking about anybody that's got this voice out there, which is a non christian voice and these people speak from the world and the world listens to them it is no wonder that the world listens to the world they don't have the spirit of god according to ephesians 2 they're they're dead in their sins they don't have spiritual life they're in darkness do you wonder then why darkness listens to darkness because they both are in darkness that's what they have in common they don't have life they don't have god in common And the world gives worldly people what they want. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, therefore the world listens to them. Like the world speaks and gives you what you want. You want things? Well, the world gives you things. Do you want adventure? The world gives you adventure. Do you want sex? The world gives you sex. Do you want lies and gossip? Then the world gives you lies and gossip. You want gifts? Then the world gives you gifts. Whatever, to to stimulate you, to... To like what they're saying. And, and the world speaks so that people will like them and help them. The contrast comes in verse 6, though. We are from God. 
Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Now, certainly this is apostolic precedent. So he's saying that we, like I'm an apostle, um, you listen to me. And if you don't listen to me, then you're, you're not from God. I mean, it's not really the case with us because someone may not listen to me, but may fully be in Christ. They like the way another preacher speaks or says things, and that's okay. There's another church. We're not the only church in town. But when we say we, I think you can extrapolate that to the corporate we who are faithful to the Bible. When God's word is spoken, right, do people listen? That's the big question. When God's word is spoken, do people listen? Because listening is a sign of their source, right? That's exactly what verse 6 says. We are from God. So the, the source comes from us. We're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. If you listen to us, then you know God. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So if you don't listen to us, then you're not from God. It's really as simple as that. But listen here means heed and obey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The hearer means to listen and apply it. It doesn't mean just to listen, have it go in your ears. It means to apply it. So it's better. If they're from God, they will heed God's word and they will apply it. If they're not from God, they'll ignore the word of God and not care to do what it says. And maybe you've seen this before. I've seen it countless times when talking to people. I've seen it here on Sunday mornings preaching. And now I can tell when you're tired, okay, and you're, you're straining, right? You're, you're, trying to, you're trying to stay awake, okay? I can, I can tell when you're interested in God's word, but you... But there are some people who are just totally not interested at all. And I say, I call it the glaze. The glaze kind of goes over there like, I have zero interest in this. Uh, you're telling me these things, but I don't even want to hear it. I, I think it's a waste of time. I don't know why I'm here. I'd rather be on my phone playing whatever, some Candy Crush. Is that some kind of game? I've never played it. but some, some kind of, I'd rather be doing that. Just, just this is not, this is not. It just doesn't compute. And it's like on a different wavelength. I've seen that before. Just ignore the word. They don't care about the word. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 really puts this down. If you're from God, you'll hear. If you're not from God, you won't listen to So Paul says, the word of the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. In other words, those who are from the world, the, the word of the cross is foolishness. A crucified Messiah a baby at Christmas time born to die? That doesn't make sense. I mean, who would send his son to die? Mothers don't send their sons to war to die. Oh, they, they send them with the hopes that they come back. Now, many of them have given their sons to die in war, but it's not their intent. It doesn't make sense. That's why terrorists who bomb places and, and suicide, it's like, what? Why would a mother... It just doesn't make sense. So trying to understand terrorism is, in some regards, understanding Christmas a little bit to people, but there's a greater divine... Jesus wasn't a terrorist because he didn't blow people up. He saved people. I mean, it's a sacrifice to go in to save people. But it, but it is. He sacrificed his life. He gave his life. And, and it's just people don't... It doesn't make any sense of the world. Compound that with that the way to the kingdom is through faith alone. That Jesus accomplished all at the cross. We just merely need to say, I can't do it. God, it's all yours. I need your help. I need your grace. Just crying out to God. I'm turning from myself. I'm just turning to you. I'm just, I'm just trusting you. That's the only way into the kingdom of heaven. That's utter foolishness to the world where you work for everything you get. I mean, there's no free lunch. And the world knows that. 
And then to think about coming to God through faith and not works, it is almost contrary to everything the world knows. The world knows about working, working hard and reaping the fruit of your labors. They don't know anything about just trusting and seeing God make things right. That's why it's foolishness. But see, to us who are being saved, the word of the cross is the power of God. In other words, when those of us who know Jesus hear the message of Jesus, there is power there. When we hear of him coming in the flesh and dying for our sins, we rejoice. And when we hear that he accomplished everything, it is this strange mystery of sanctification through the gospel of Christ that that the very thing, we don't need to be anything to be right with God, is the very comfort and help and freedom that we have then to pursue God with all of our heart out of joy and love. Not out of obligation, not out of fear of condemnation, but through love for our Savior. And love for the Savior will trump any other motivation in the world. That's true power. And Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians 1. The Jews demand signs, Greek seeks for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified as stumbling blocks to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Right? The Jews of Paul's day were into signs. Show me, Paul, and I'll believe, was their mantra. Just show me. Just show me. And even Jesus himself said, if someone raised from the dead... <clears throat> you're not going to believe me, Luke chapter 16. Someone did indeed rise from the dead. Jesus did. They saw that great sign, but that sign wasn't enough. They tried to suppress the sign. Matthew 27, you can read about that. Matthew 28, how they tried to suppress the, the, the tomb. They tried to make this lie about, well, the disciples came to get him. There was the resurrection. He appeared to many people, and the resurrection wasn't good enough. But they say, show me, I'll believe. The Greeks were robbed by wisdom. Wow me with your wit, and then I'll believe, is what they said. But... But that doesn't work either because the message we proclaim is Christ crucified. It's, it's, yes, it is his resurrection. We don't have any proof today of his resurrection. They did then who saw him raised from the dead. But we refer back by faith to these people. We'll take them at their word because we see how much their lives were changed. We say, yes, they, they truly saw Jesus raised from the dead. But there's, there's no proof. We don't have, have proof today. The proof was 2,000 years ago. But here it is. Those who are being saved, the message of the cross burial resurrection is the power of god i mean there's something enlivening about that there's something that stirs in us that we want proof is sufficient for us for many it's not they don't listen and and the the whole message is wise enough for us even though some people just want to talk about something new and here's our message it is it is simple that children can understand it and yet we embrace it it's good enough for us it's good enough for a, a child of god Continuing back here to verse 5, getting in 1 John. It is interesting that they're from the world, therefore they speak from the world. The world listens to them. There are some churches that basically say this. I want to see what the world wants. I'm going to give the world what the world wants with a, with a touch of Jesus. And so what they've done is they've taken verse 5 basically and they said, okay, well, let's, let's go from the world. Let's speak from the world, but maybe just a, a little bit of Jesus. And you know what? Churches like that will do, they'll attract people who are in the world, who love the world, and when they do this Jesus a little bit, they don't want that. You might get people, might build a big church, but it's not working as well. Steve Jobs is very interesting. When, um, when he was talking about his products, he, he, he talked about um, how Apple would never do a customer survey. Right? What do you do a customer survey? What would you do is you fill out this form. Like, what would you like in a product? Would you like this or like this? Would you like this function or like this function? And Steve Jobs, I remember, I don't know where it is, but he said, the customers, they don't know what they want. They don't, 
I know what they want, and I'm going to build what they want, and I'm going to build it and tell them that they want it, and they're going to want it, and they're going to buy it. That's why Apple stock has gone through the roof in recent years, because he was ingenious about that. And, and that is exactly with the gospel. We don't need to go and talk to our next-door neighbors and see, well, what kind of message would you like? Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll give you that kind of message. We don't need to take a customer satisfaction survey of our neighbors. We know what they need. We just simply need to tell them that they need this and then tell them what it is that they need. And basically, we're going to find out that those who are not from God won't listen to us. But those who will, those who are from God will listen to us. And that is our our great comfort. So we need to test the spirit. We also need to know our source. And because our source has great power, it's interesting, 1 Corinthians 1, why I cross-reference there quite a bit, is because it talks about the power. The power of God is in the gospel of Christ. The power of God is in the crucified message. And here we see, maybe not the word power, but we see a similar thing. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Who's the them? The world. You've overcome the world. What does it mean to overcome? It means to walk in righteousness. Over in chapter 5, it speaks about overcoming um, Chapter 5, verse 4. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Overcoming the world, meaning going past this world, being victorious over the world. You are from God, and you've overcome them. You've overcome the world because you're from God. And that's exactly what it says. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, what he is saying here is that you have a power in you, which is the power of God. And they have a power in them, which is called the power of the world. Now, do you want the power of God or the power of the world? The power of God is much stronger than the power of the world. You can overcome the world. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what John is saying, right? So as you know your source, know that you have God within you helping you, helping you, I believe, to discern and to believe that the true spirit, you show me someone who's not discerning and you need to say, well, is the spirit of God in them? Because the promise here in verse four is that if you are of God, then you have the spirit of God and you will overcome them. You won't go the way of the docetists or the liberals or the Jehovah Witnesses because God will be in you to teach you. You won't be persuaded by those. And that is power then for living and for sanctification as well. Well, that comes back also to the, the verse, I haven't mentioned it yet, but oftentimes John starts a little topic and then flushes itself out later. And that's exactly what he did. Look at it back in chapter 3 at the very end. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God abides in him. And there it is, God abides in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And there's the Spirit in us, abiding in us, and he says, okay, but let's make sure we understand what we're talking about when we talk about spirits. We're talking about the right spirit, not just any spirit. We're talking about the spirit of God, and thus he speaks about truth and error in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So, church family, test the spirits and know your source. It's the way to conquer through Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help. I pray that you would be with us that you would guide us, you'd be our strength. Father, we would know the difference between truth and error. God, that we would be keen to, to see that. God, I pray simply that you would keep us worshiping the true Jesus, especially this Christmas time. Let's worship the true Jesus, God. Keep us away from falsity. God, we 
We just need your spirit in us, abiding in us, helping us. And, and, and when we see that, when we're discerning, when we know, God, that is an indication of who we're from. And God, I pray you'd give massive assurance here right through the room, especially with your spirit. That your spirit is within us and it does discern rightly that we are children of God. Strengthen us now. In Jesus' name, amen.